I smell exhaust, the hot breath of devils in the fog of dawn, the noise of a great cat purring underneath the earthen mound. They're waking up. Can you see it through the mist? Pale sprigs of mistletoe entwined with greasy drive chains. The high priest watches his reflection stretch to absurdity across the curve of the mirrored chrome. He is as tall as the cliffs. He is as long as the worm of dreams. The purring of the cat grows deafening. The priest's grin is wild. With that twist of his hand flexing the wrist, is he wringing a hen's neck to adorn the altar of spring? Or is this the spell that brings the iron hog to life? Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Rob, I'm, I'm so excited today. I'm so excited <laughs> because you, you out there, you know if you've been listening to Weird House Cinema that we love our implausible genre crossover films. Uh, one of my favorite examples we've done so far is the niche subgenre represented by our back catalog entry, Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. Of course, that would be the supernatural wrestling film. Well, today we're finally doing a supernatural biker film, uh, a niche subgenre that really holds a strong, powerful, revving place in my heart. It gets my <laughs> motor running. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this one this one is a lot of fun, and I it'd been on my list to watch for a, a while. I know you've been talking about it for years, and we we occasionally talk about biker films and supernatural biker films, uh, but I had not actually watched it till this week, and it was just a total delight, just such a wonderfully weird film, um, and delightfully so. No, you have seen other supernatural biker movies, right? Like you've seen Werewolves on Wheels. Oh yeah, Werewolves on Wheels, a very American supernatural biker film from uh, the the same time period yeah. uh, but this this is a very british film we're talking about here today yes yes werewolves on wheels is a grosser sweatier more guttural american western style uh supernatural biker film this supernatural biker film is a bit more uh tweedy and uh <laughs> i don't know has the 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 english morning fog on its back uh today the movie we're talking about is the 1973 British supernatural biker movie Psychomania, a.k.a. The Death Wheelers. And uh, so whenever you have a great genre crossover movie, you, you want to identify, like, what are the main streams feeding into this? And Rob, if, if you disagree, let me know. But I, I think the main two things we're getting as inputs here are, on one hand, outlaw biker movies, which we can mm -hmm. talk about in a little more detail in a minute. And then the other hand would be, like, British witchcraft horror films, a la the Hammer horror movies of the late 60s and early 70s. Yes, I think those are those are probably the two primary influences, but I think it's also worth noting the Avengers DNA in this. Uh, we have some people connected oh. to the Avengers, and the Avengers, if you're not familiar with the Avengers TV show, A, it was, it was pretty fun, uh, but B, mm -hmm. it also would, it, it, it generally featured this sort of idea of contemporary weirdness in the world, uh, not unlike yeah. what the X-Files would do later, uh, and I think there is a, a hint of that in this film. 
Okay, I didn't think about that input at all because I've never actually seen the Avengers, though I know what it is. Uh, this mm-hmm. is very different than Marvel's The Avengers. This is the right. British TV show. Yeah, the one that was eventually made into uh, what Sean, one of Sean Connery's last films, if not his last film. Uh, one of the last films. They, they tried to do a reboot of it uh, mm-hmm. decades ago, and it was not successful. Uh, but the original TV series was often a lot of fun. Yeah, another way of thinking about this movie is, okay, if you got the precedent of werewolves on wheels in America, this is sort of like uh, druid lich kings on wheels, Mm -hmm. like undead Stonehenge magic demons revving their engines and, and, uh, and, and doing all the outlaw biker stuff, but from beyond the grave. Yes. Now, um, I often turn to Michael Weldon's psychotronic video guides for a little guidance in the films that we we, 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 we turn to. Uh, sometimes I discover a film <laughs> by looking at his work. Other times we'll, we'll th- be thinking about one and I'll, I'll see what he had to say about it. Um, mm. I, I'm not going to read his entire uh, mini review for this one, but it, it, but one of, he basically kicks off his review of Psychomania by saying, incredible to say the least. I disagree. I think it's quite credible. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I would let this co-sign on a loan. <laughs> now, I want to I put on a, a note about the title. So I think we already alluded to the fact that it was also released as The Death Wheeler, um, which in, in some ways is a better title for the film, like Death Wheelers. It's, you know, death and motorcycles. We're not actually sure what psychomania means in context yeah. of this film. Uh, but I wonder if the title situation here, it might have to do with the fact that there was another film titled Psychomania that was released in 1963, so 10 years earlier, also known as Violent Midnight, that was directed by the guy who wrote Horror at Party Beach. Oh, but that no. 1963 movie is just a murder picture. The 1973 Psychomania is so much more. And that, that is definitely the film we're talking about here today, a supernatural biker film. Okay, well, I guess we need to dwell on the concept of a biker film for a moment, because before you had supernatural biker films, you just had the biker genre as a sort of uh, fad movie genre in the the 50s through the 70s. Yeah, and I guess more specific. So, boy, I I guess a big thing here is that, first of all, motorcycles are not inherently one thing or another. And motorcycle enthusiasts are not inherently one thing or the other. (laughs) So you have motorcyclists. You have motorcycle clubs, but then you also have this area that is often referred to as the outlaw motorcycle club. And that is generally what is dwelt upon in films such as these. Right. I mean, I'd say for the same reason that there are more movies about bank robbers than there are about accountants. Right. (laughs) Now, outlaw motorcycle clubs began to form in the late 1940s in the Western United States. And over time, motorcycle club culture outlaw or, or non-outlaw, has spread around the world. And it's, it's quite fa- fascinating because what we have here is an American subculture, and in the cases of outlaw motorcycle gangs and often criminal subculture, that ends up just resonating around the world, finding slightly different forms and different cultures, um, inspiring fiction, inspiring myth. And, and then also, in turn, you have the reality of motorcycle clubs and outlaw motorcycle clubs fed by fiction and myth. Uh, so we end up with a number of different variations of the mythic outlaw motorcyclist. You know, we have the noble outlaw, the scoundrel, the sort of anti-hippie, the rebellious youth, the rebel without a cause, etc. Mm-hmm. So as far as outlaw biker films go, we certainly don't have time to list them all here. But I want to mention just some of the big ones, some of the, the, the precursors to psychomania. 
Now, the, the, yeah, the first big one, of course, is 1953's The Wild One, starring Marlon Brando. Even if you haven't seen this film, and I have to admit, I've never watched The Wild One, you've seen the, 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 the title, you've seen the cover, you've seen stills from this, or maybe even seen a clip from it. It's generally critically well-received, it was highly influential, and it, of course, a lot of low-budget exploitation films came in its wake uh, just, for, just for decades. Like, this, this was a big film. But yeah. yeah, by the time you get into the 60s, you have the counterculture. You have a lot going on, obviously, during the 1960s. You also have Hunter S. Thompson's book, Hell's Angels, coming out, which uh, details uh, his, uh, you know, sort of gonzo journalism experience with the notorious um, uh, motorcycle club. And, uh, and then a lot of stuff comes in the wake of that. You have Russ Meyer's Motorcycle in 1965. I think that was actually before... Um, Thompson's book. Uh, but then you get The Wild Angels in 1966 by Roger Corman. Uh, this one this one is, I actually watched part of this one, I think. it's a, It has a great cast. You got Peter Fonda, Nancy Sinatra, Bruce Dern, Diane Ladd. Mm. Um, definitely a precursor to Easy Rider because it involves some of the same people. And then, yeah, you get Easy Rider in 1969, a highly influential hippie biker film directed by Dennis Hopper. Terrific film, Easy Rider. But, uh, but you might be asking, well, these are all American films. When do the British films come in? Well, you have some notable entries in the British biker film um, uh, bucket of content. Here you have The Leather Boys from 1964, The Girl on a Motorcycle from 68, as well as some early forays into horror hybrid biker films such as The Black Rider in 1954. I don't know. You might be... I haven't seen this one yet, but I think maybe it does... I mean, it does have a motorcyclist in it. I don't know how motorcycle club... Uh, the elements there are. But then there's also a 63 film called The The Damned, which has some sort of motorcyclist element to it as well. But then by the 1970s, basically, we've had so many biker films come out that you see this need to create new twists on the genre. You can't just put out a biker film. uh, You know, you can't just say, oh, well, they're bad boys out there riding around on bikes. Well, how bad are they? Could they be supernaturally bad? And that's where (laughs) we get stuff like 71's Werewolves on Wheels or 72's Blood Freak, um, as well as, uh, this is later, and this comes after the, the time period we're talking about, but I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle from 1990. Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, I was looking. It, it looks good. I believe that one's British, uh, so I may have to investigate further. But uh, today's picture might well be considered the supernatural biker film par excellence. Uh, this this really takes the cake, without a doubt. If you want to watch supernatural biker horror movies, I think you should start with Psychomania. Yeah, and really, I I feel like with biker fiction in in general, we kind of ebbs and flows, right? Uh, a few years back, we had that fairly long-running uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy series, which I ended up mm. watching all of. Uh, it's, uh, it was, I've never uh, seen it, it. Oh, it's 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 entertaining. It's uh, uh-huh. it, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting show. It's it's it has a lot of cheesy elements. It has a lot of elements that um, were maybe in, in questionable taste. Uh, okay. <laughs> at the time and certainly by today's standards, but uh, it had a lot of things going for it, like essentially trying to do a motorcycle gang story that is Shakespearean influenced or at least Shakespeare light uh, in its um, creation. So, uh, oh, but, but my, which, which Shakespeare was it based on? You like well the basic bones of it. They tried to set up a Hamlet thing, okay. like um, young what's his name Charlie. Charlie, Charlie I want to say Hanuman, you know, you know the guy. Oh, Charlie Hunnam? Yes, him. Yes. Okay. 
yeah, he's basically Hamlet. They set that up as like he is the Hamlet of this biker scenario. And they but they don't try and like actually hit all the story beats of Hamlet. Exactly. And then they throw a little bit of Macbeth in there at times. Uh, it, it's amusing. OK, but I'm ready for the, the needle to come back to supernatural biker films. That's where we need to go. Uh, if they want to keep the, the Sons of Anarchy thing going, then make it vampires, make it werewolves, bring that <laughs> bring that back in. That's that's my two cents. Yeah, what has there been lately that really counts? I guess there's like the what's that superhero who's like a supernatural biker? Oh, Night Rider, Nicholas yeah. Cage, Nicholas yeah. Cage, Night Night Rider, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider. Yeah, not Night Rider. That's <laughs> that's a different thing altogether. Uh, I I haven't seen any of those except that first movie with Nicholas Cage, which I recall being hilarious. I think uh, Peter Fonda shows up in one of those. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. That that sort of rings a bell. Maybe it was in that first one. Yeah, that's a fun inclusion. It's thoughtful to include P- Peter Fonda in it. Uh, the main thing I remember about that one is that uh, the uh, that kid who's in American Beauty is the villain in it, and he's some kind of monster. And there's a part where he's like in the middle of the desert, and he just walks right up to the camera and looks into the camera and goes, Bleh! and he like opens his <laughs> mouth, and a bunch of teeth and stuff come out. Well, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. I'm sure um, that character will be back, though. They'll they'll create some other. Um, what do we say his name was? Death, not Death Rider, Night Rider, Night Rider, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you can't figure out the elevator pitch based on everything we've already said, uh, I don't know how much help we're going to be other than the Lich King rides. It's exactly. it's undead bikers. Let's go ahead and listen to the trailer. And I think like last week, we might just let the trailer play in its entirety because it's wonderful. It's a it's same year as last uh, week's selection, so it makes sense. They were just ordinary troublemakers as long as they lived. But they returned from beyond the grave with superhuman powers, unleashing an unholy reign of terror that holds an entire community in the grip of psychomania. Psychomania. Everybody dies, don't they? But some come back. How do the dead come back, Mother? When you die, you've got to believe that you're going to come back. die once. After that, nothing and nobody can harm you. Oh, man, what are you waiting for? I must stop him. You can't. I must. What happened? You're not dead. That's what I was trying to tell you, Tom. I don't want to die. Get after them! 
what you will become? Yes. And that it will be for all eternity. You can only die once. After that, nothing and nobody can harm you. Psychomania. One thing about this movie is it's just so British. It has mm-hmm. this film of Britishness all over it. It's uh, you know, it just smells like baked beans. Uh, it's a, it's a can of Heinz baked beans driving a motorcycle uh, through a roundabout. It, and it, and it's also got that wonderful like the intercutting between the uh, the violent uh, manic uh, parts on the road where they're out you know riding around harassing motorists and all that on the motorway and then and then contrasting that with the indoor scenes where like they go to a pub or they go into somebody's mm-hmm. house and it has this amazing quaint stuffiness of of early seventies Britain uh, yeah. it's yeah it's it's just tremendous well it, it's inter- an interesting twist. If you've if you're used to seeing mostly American biker films, there any biker film is going to have scenes where the bikers are messing with the squares. But yes, more often than not, in your American biker films, these are taking place in rural situations. You know, say like a gas station. Uh, yeah. Often, so it's often you know v- very rural individuals who are bedeviled by the bikers. And in this case, we get just uh, it's not even like rural Britain per se. I mean, it's not London, obviously, but it's. Um, you know, it's 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 in town, uh, mm-hmm. or it's uh, you know on the street surrounding town. But it's the British way of life that is threatened by the bikers, as opposed to the like American Midwest or uh, mm-hmm. you know or, or sort of desert community kind of vibe. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think it's supposed to be a town in the southwest of England. Um, okay, I think it's supposed to be a town in like Wiltshire or something. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Wiltshire, Wiltshire, uh, whatever it is. But yeah, there there is uh, a thing that definitely that they do in this movie that a lot of outlaw biker movies have to do. Uh, even non-supernatural, utterly mundane outlaw biker movies have to have a scene of the bikers riding around knocking things over in some public place. And in this yeah. movie, they, they do it in a grocery store and they do it in the middle of a town square, which makes me wonder, was it actually a common occurrence for outlaw biker gangs at the time in, the, I don't know, the early 70s to just ride around in public places knocking things over, saying, that shouldn't be upright and I'll make it sideways? <laughs> or is this merely symbolic, like a way of showing them causing chaos that can be accomplished on screen in a single scene. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, if actual bikers, actual outlaw bikers engage in this kind of thing. Because certainly there are accounts of outlaw bikers engaging in, in all manner of criminal activities, yeah, I guess. Like you know? all ki- the kinds of things you would see with any type of organized crime. Right, yeah. But yeah, organized tr- crime, smuggling, things like that. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of, say, New York Times articles about them just knocking stuff over in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. But th- this this reminds me. Um, I was reading an interview or part of an interview uh, with um, the lead singer of Electric Wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is his name? Uh, Jess Jess Oborn, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, doom metal band. Yeah, doom metal band, uh, stoner band uh, kind of vibe. And uh, uh, there was a quote from it uh, that I want to read here, just because I thought it was amusing. He says. Um, 
I don't know why it isn't venerated in the same way as the Wicker Man or Witchfinder General. There was a whole generation of us who grew up watching it on TV. In Wimborne, there used to be a Safeways, that's a, like a grocery, like we see mm-hmm. in this film, with an entrance on one end and an exit right at the other. We used to bike right through it on BMXs kicking stuff over. <laughs> it was called Doing a Psychomania. Ah, so- <laughs> that's perfect. Oh, no. Oh, no. The kid's getting bad ideas. They're imitating an act of violence they saw on television, and what they were watching is Psychomania. Well, it comes back to this idea of the, the motorcycle club the outlaw motorcycle club in myth and in fiction and in reality and how these Mm. things all feed into each other you know yeah at least i guess it wasn't violence against people i mean i don't advocate knocking over pyramids of cans of baked beans but yeah yeah but uh you know i guess you got to do it sometimes that's one of the great things about this film though is that yes the characters do engage in some heinous acts of violence mostly off screen but yeah. they also just do some very low-level criminal yes. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, mischief in this. Just, yeah, knocking over stuff. Um, like Name-calling in traffic. Yeah, name-calling in traffic. Yeah. Just minor assaults on the British way of life. And, and also murder. As also we'll murder. Into. So yeah. it's murder or like pulling up beside somebody in a truck and going, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. All right, shall we talk about some of the people in this film, since we're talking about uh, about the people here? Absolutely. Now, is it true that this was directed by somebody who had done a bunch of Hammer Horror films? Yeah, at least a few. This is uh, The director on this picture was Don Sharp, who lived 1921 through 2011. Australian-born British director, probably best known for his Hammer films, including 63's The Kiss of the Vampire, 64's The Devil Ship Pirates, and Rasputin, The Mad Monk from 1966. Uh, I believe this is, this is one that our producer Seth is quite fond of. Oh, yeah? Was this, does this one actually have Christopher Lee as Rasputin? It does, yes. Oh, I, I've got to see that. I, I love a good portrayal of Rasputin. One of my favorites, if I've never mentioned it on this show before, is uh, it, he doesn't get all that much screen time, but his scenes are fabulous. So there's a movie uh, from the 70s called Nicholas and Alexandra that's about the Romanovs and the Russian Revolution and all that. Uh, and it has Tom Baker, who played the doctor on Doctor Who as mm-hmm. Rasputin, and he is just awesome just devastating he will he will turn your brain into a boiled ham his scenes will will just beat you into submission you'll be watching without blinking it's so good i I looked at some screenshots of it it looks it looks pretty great yeah now sharp also directed not the first sequel to the fly but the second fly sequel the return of the fly in 1958 he also did a film titled bear island in 1979 (laughs) um which I believe involves bears. And he also directed three episodes of the original The Avengers series, which we cited earlier. Oh, okay. Some things are coming together here. Hammer Horror and The Avengers. All right, let's move on to the screenwriters here. There's Arnaud Dussault, who lived 1916 through 1990, American screenwriter who also penned the uh, 72 UK-Spanish co-production Horror Express, which uh, is is a wonderful little film starring Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Telly Savalas. Whoa, uh, wait, 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 wait. Is this the one where they extract the image of the killer from someone's eye? Yes. yes. Oh, wow. And there's also some sort of, um, like, sort of a Neanderthal monster wandering okay. around on the train. It has a couple of weird uh, elements going around in it, but it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite amusing. I, I saw it several years ago. 
Wow. Yeah. So the the idea in that the the eye scene is that what like the last image a person saw before they died is like imprinted on their retina and somehow they extract that from the victim. Yeah, and uh there's actually an older episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, one I did with uh, with Christian where we we get into this idea and mm-hmm. um how this idea kind of traveled around in scientific and pseudoscientific um uh groups for a while. Hmm. Now, that's just one of the screenwriters. The other is Julian Zimmett, another American, I believe. Uh, Zimmett also worked on Horror Express and various pictures through the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, this being his final film credit. Now, the main character in this film, I guess you could argue about who the main character is, but one of the main characters is a is a very naughty motorcycle youth <laughs> named Tom Latham, and he's played by an actor named Nicky Henson. Yeah, Nicky Henson, who's who's certainly an actor I've seen before, but I mm-hmm. really wasn't that familiar with him. He lived 1945 through 2019, British actor with a long career in British film and television. And I'd say the big titles worth mentioning are 2005's uh, uh, Syriana. This was a film with George Clooney in it. Mm-hmm. He also did three episodes of Downton Abbey. So you Downton Abbey viewers, if you remember a character named Charles Grigg, that's that's our Nikki. I had uh, to go he, ask Rachel who if she remembered who he was in the show, and she did figure out who he was. But now I can't remember what she told me. Uh, yeah, my, my my wife did not remember this character, but I looked up a scene with him, and he looks he looks fun, and I think he plays like a veteran of the theater or something in it. Uh, so, oh wait, yes, now I remember what it is. Okay, um, I think if I recall correctly, she said that he is a, a former vaudeville performing partner with like the head butler guy at the at the house at the at the manor and uh every and uh, he comes back and he like threatens or something he says like uh he's like if you don't pay me money i'm gonna let everybody know that you used to be a stage performer and that you weren't always so so civilized All right. Well, I, yeah, the clip I looked at, it looked fun. It looks like a fun performance worthy of, uh, of an actor who certainly had a, had a very dramatic voice when he wanted to. Though in this movie, I mean, he's perfect for the role. I love him in this, but he's, he does, he's, not, he's not playing it in a serious way. This entire performance is one incredibly extended smirk. <laughs> well, the, I don't know. There's one sequence where he uh, is afraid and frightened and seems to— Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But then he gets over that really quickly. (laughs) Um, Now, he was also on EastEnders, which I think a lot of British actors were. But he was also in such genre pictures as 68's Witchfinder General, which came up a second ago. And then also um, uh, that one was one that starred Vincent Price. And I think I've alluded to Vincent Price's uh, uh, facial hair in that before. Um, uh, Because the Gandalf from the Soviet Lord of the Rings looked like Witchfinder General. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, Nikki Henson was in 74's Old Dracula, starring David Niven as Old Dracula. I have not seen it, but it sounds uh, sounds interesting. What's the premise there? Wasn't Dracula already old? I think, but now he's even older. I don't know. <laughs> like, clearly, I think you're running out of Dracula ideas when you just when you bust out Old Dracula. I don't know. Maybe it's great, and I just I'm not giving it a chance. It's like that Key and Peele skit with the the pitch meeting for Gremlins too. They're just coming yeah. up with different ideas for Dracula. What about uh, Electricity Dracula? How about <laughs> Old Dracula? Old Dracula. It's in the yeah. movie. Uh, Vegetable no, Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> but but Nicky Henson, uh, uh, he's good in this. Uh, like you say, it's it. 
it's largely one note except for the the one scene, but he's very charismatic. Um, he's dressed in leather the whole time. Mm-hmm. He has this kind of like a uh, big chest, narrow waist thing going on. So he has yep. this, uh, this youthful vigor to him that really works in the role. He has a great Nigel Tufnell mullet. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of great uh, early 70s hair in this picture. Long sideburns, everything. All right, so he plays Tom Latham, but mm-hmm. his character's mother is also an important character. This is Miss Latham, played by Beryl Reed, who lived 1919 through 1996, an acclaimed British stage actor. She won a 1967 Tony Award for Best Actress in, uh, in the play The Killing of Sister George. Uh, she was also in the film adaptation of that play, and other credits include the original Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy TV series, or perhaps limited miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, that starred Alec Guinness. And she was also in the 1983 Graham Chapman pirate film, Yellowbeard. Now, before we started recording today, we were talking about a uh, a song, a folk song that I really love. It's one of my favorites uh, called 1952 Vincent Black Lightning by the uh, by the British singer-songwriter Richard Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a wonderful song, but it is a song about a, uh, a redheaded girl who falls in love with a bad motorcycle boy. And then when he dies from a shotgun blast to the chest, he gives her his motorcycle to ride his 1952 Vincent Black Lightning. And immediately I thought of this movie because this is a movie about a redheaded girl who's in love with a bad motorcycle boy who dies. Yes, the character is Abby Holman, and she's played by the actor Mary Larkin. Uh, this was an, is was an Irish actor, uh, did a fair amount of film and TV work. Nothing that really stands out to me personally in her filmography, but... Uh, I think British TV viewers may have some notes for us on this, but she has a very nice film presence uh, in this motion picture. Uh, I'll also say, (laughs) I want to point this out. uh, Her name is Abby, and you frequently get reminded of this because she has a leather jacket. She's in the gang, and she has her name on it. And I love a movie that has name tags. it It was a lot easier to keep track of everybody in this film. I wish more pictures had name tags like this. What's that scene where for most of the movie, you don't hear most of the names of the characters, the biker gang. But then there's one scene where undead Tom is just looking at all of them one in a row and saying their names. (laughs) And the sequence is hilarious. It's something he says something like Gash, Hatchet, Bertram. Mm -hmm. Yep. Chopped Meat is another. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I think Chopped Meat is the... um the folk singer of the group, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah. I mean, not. I don't think the actor was actually a folk singer, but there's a scene later on where we get a folk song, and mm. I think Chop Meat, uh, out of his leather jacket, is the one that's supposed to be playing that song. Could be wrong. It's such a gentle tune. You wouldn't think that it uh, that it comes from the mind of a crazed motorcycle killer. Well, that's a scene where they're mostly dressed like hippies, as if the film is trying to say all of us have within us both the hippie and the biker. Both the uh, both yeah. the peace loving hippie and the necromantic uh, druid uh, biker wraith. Uh, these are both aspects of the same uh, human soul. The peaceful artist whose very voice is love, and then the the motorcycle nightmare who will who will run you down on the motorway. Yes. Now, if Abby is the good girl in this, the bad girl is Jane, played by Anne um, Anne Michelle, I believe her name was, born nineteen fifty two. Other credits include House of Rip Cord from 74, Haunted from 77. And interestingly enough, uh, 
this actor was once married to a professional British motorcycle racer by the name of Richard May. So huh. uh, just a, uh, normally not really worth mentioning what uh, actors' spouses did, but in this case, I, I found that interesting. She's also fantastic in this because much like Nikki Henson, she has a smirk that mocks life itself. Yeah, she is, uh, like I said, she's the bad girl in this. Uh, yeah. She does not really question the whole um, uh, uh, necromancy scheme that becomes central to the plot. Uh, she embraces it early on. Right. Now, we're not going to go through all the actors playing all the bikers, you know, um, like Chop Mead and Horsecroft <laughs> and so forth. But uh, Bertram was played by this actor by the name of Roy Holder, born 1946 and I believe still, still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, another actor with solid British TV and film credits, including... 2001's War Horse, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood from 2011, and various big TV series like EastEnders, Coronation Street, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, uh, etc. Uh, he played the character uh, Krelper, a gunrunner who worked for a mercenary who worked for another villain named Morgus on four episodes of Doctor Who in the 1980s. Uh-huh. And he plays Enoch in the star-studded 1977 Jesus of Nazareth miniseries. Okay. I don't think I've seen this, but I, I long remember seeing it on video shelves as a kid. It's the the one with like the kind of a big eyed Jesus on the front, you know. I'm not sure I know which one this is. Oh uh, well, it, it, it's it's worth looking up just to see who all's in it. It was again a star studded uh, uh, project, a huge Jesus movie. Okay. All right, uh, we have a we have a, a police inspector in this film representing oof, law and oof. order. Hate the law, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no respect for it. Yeah, uh, the chief inspector in this is played by Robert Hardy, who lived 1925 through 2017. This is Cornelius Fudge himself from the Harry Potter films. Oh, I don't remember who that is. Who's Cornelius Fudge? Oh, uh, he was uh, the head of the Ministry of Magic. Oh, he's sort of like the president of of the wizards or something. Yeah, like, but I mean, Uh, it's like, it's basically like this is an actor who played authority, British authority figures well. Yeah. And so in this, he plays one. And in Harry Potter, he played a different one. Yeah, he he disapproves of your behavior, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, He was also in uh, Ang Lee's 1995 Sense and Sensibility. He was on All Creatures Great and Small. And he sure played Churchill a lot. I saw Churchill (laughs) popping up a lot in his filmography. Yeah. (laughs) He was also in a 72 demon possession film titled Demons of the Mind. Now, another big connection here is that this bizarre undead biker horror movie was the last film of the legendary actor George Sanders. Yes, George Sanders playing Shadwell the butler, uh, though we suspect he is much more than a butler. Yeah, the uh, warlock butler. Yeah. Uh, he lived 1906 through 1972, so he uh, you know died the same year this film, rap production, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, English actor known for major roles in the 40s and 50s, pictures like All About Eve, Rebecca, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and Manhunt. Later audiences might know him best for his voice in uh, Walt uh, Disney's The Jungle Book, the uh, you know the old animated Jungle Book. He is the voice of Shere Khan, the tiger. Mm-hmm. I think the talking voice, not the singing voice. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. A, there, uh, there's a, there, yeah different different credits on those, but the talking voice is definitely Sanders. Uh, he also played Mister Freeze in the first two appearances of that character in the old Batman series. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of other notable actors who played that same character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real lightning rod for talent, that show. Because um, Vincent Price also popped up on Batman. Oh, I forgot about that. Who did he play? Was he the oh, Riddler or something? No, no, no. That would have been great. No, he played Egghead, this character with the, just a giant egghead. 
I've forgotten. Yeah, Egghead. it's terrible. It's terrible. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's... Should we should we do a digression here about how bad most of the Batman villains are? Uh, <laughs> almost all... You know what? In fact, they're like the Gremlins, once again, in that uh, Gremlins pitch meeting sketch. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're all like... I, I remember this when I was playing one of those Batman video games years ago that allows you to sort of like collect a catalog of who all the villains are. And you got the big ones. You all know the Joker and the Riddler and all that. I don't know if the Riddler is different enough from the Joker. But anyway, once you get into the second tier of Batman villains, it's all just like clock man. He is obsessed with <laughs> clocks and kills people with schemes that resemble clocks. Um, yeah. you know, Mad Hatter, who is obsessed with the Mad Hatter character in Alice in Wonderland. They're they're all like extremely literal. They're all uh, you know electricity gremlin. Yeah, I mean it is. It's like that. It's like you know electricity criminal, uh, yeah. riddle criminal, clock criminal. Because uh, essentially, like Batman is a detective. He solves crimes. He needs a criminal to go up against. But you have to put these at least these spins on them. And, uh, and of course, over time, various creative minds have found interesting ways to make those ideas more potent. Take oh, Mr. Sure, Freeze, yeah. for example. Like, Freeze criminal is not a very interesting concept, but certainly by the time of the, like, the animated Batman series. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that In, we, yeah, we yeah, all, yeah. We when we were kids, you know, they— Heart of Ice. Yeah, they found ways to, to make this just a tragic and romantic figure and a, just a fascinating character with cool, freezing criminal powers. Right. Oh, I, I want to be clear. I'm not dissing uh, Dr. Freeze, uh, especially – or Mr. Freeze, even though he is a doctor. He he goes by Mr. Freeze even though he has a PhD. Well, you know, he he takes that do-no-harm thing seriously, I guess. Or, or I don't or know. Is he supposed is to be he a medical MD doctor? or a PhD? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but he's when he's freezing, he's Mr. Freeze. Right, exactly. That's his – yeah, uh, off off the clock. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, this is George Saunders' last – picture. And by all accounts, he was not in a good place at this point in his life, uh, probably not performing at his peak, but he's still a great presence in the film. I, I, you know, he still, he still creates some magic on the screen. Now, Rob, I, I know you always like to talk about the music, and the music in this movie is one of the big selling points. There are some great uh, folk songs in it. There's some great psychedelic guitar. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a little bit funky in places. There's some, I guess, what do you got? Like fuzz tone rock notes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a wonderful score, and this is definitely a score that's available and has long been available in various formats. It is the work of John Cameron, born 1944. British composer, arranger, conductor, and musician. He did a number of film scores uh, for for various pictures over the years. One that stuck out to me, and this may not be his crowning achievement. I don't remember what the music was like in this, but 1992's Frankenstein, starring Randy Quaid as the monster (laughs) and Patrick Bergen as the doctor. Uh, This one, I think, debuted on TNT on cable uh, back when I was a kid. And I may have mentioned on the show before, because when this came out, I was like, yeah, this is, this is Frankenstein. This This is is not the first time you've brought this one up. In fact, you've brought it up almost uh, to, to scold me for like making jokes about Randy Quaid. (laughs) No, no, you can joke about Randy Quaid all all you want. Um, In terms of his acting though, uh, Randy Quaid, I I have found him quite good in a few different pictures. Um, but and this was one of them playing playing the the, the monster. Uh, but as for, as for the music, yeah, this is this is really good stuff from Cameron. Um, 
Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the folk ballad in a bit. Uh, originally, the tracks off of this score, Witch Hunt and Living Dead, were actually released as a single on vinyl with Cameron taking on the moniker of Frog. Mm. Now, there is a major frog in this movie. I honestly could not understand what the magical significance of the frog was. Maybe you can help me uh, understand that as we talk about the plot a little bit more. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, we'll get this into is this. is a froggy film. The psychomania gets froggy. Yeah. Well, uh, before we move forward, though, first let's have a let's have a, just another sample of that music, uh, the, the score to Psychomania. so good it's so good i'm i'm feeling the last vestiges of respect for law and humanity fading away i i am about to go out and do evil do exactly as i will well let's let's go ahead and uh, and talk about the film let's get into the plot uh, because okay. this one has it's again so many weird elements it's it's really worth dwelling on well, so the very opening is just divine. It, it, I love the first few minutes of this movie. It's, once again, druids on wheels. It's just bikers doing slow-mo stunts in the grass amidst an ancient stone circle while this acid wizard guitar music just drips in the background. I love, love, love this. <laughs> filmmakers out there if you want to make movies today that i will just like gush about incessantly get this vibe uh, recreate it make more of this kind of thing um i i believe that the setting here so they're you know they're riding around doing bike stunts uh at a stone circle i think this is supposed to be at a place called avebury henge at least according to some not super authoritative looking articles I was reading. So I'm not certain about this, but if this is supposed to be a very hinge, that is a Neolithic stone monument site, much like Stonehenge. Uh, this one's in the Southwest of England. And I'm not sure if they are actually truly gunning their hogs through the real <laughs> megaliths, or if this is a set made to look like it. If it is a set, I'm impressed. Like it looks pretty convincing. <laughs> They may actually have been ripping meat through a priceless 4,500-year-old ritual site. I, I can't tell. But these scenes are impressive. It sets the tone for the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. So slow-mo bike jumps, uh, crossing in and out. I imagine they were probably actually going at pretty low speed, but then by playing it back in slow motion, you can create the impression that at full speed they would have been doing something incredibly dangerous. Um, so, so this is the biker gang at the heart of the movie. They're known as the Living Dead. I adore their outfits. They've got these skull helmets, mm -hmm. and they all wear uh, black leather motorcycle gear, except for Jane, who wears red leather and white gloves. And these are just some bad, bad English youths whose brains have been defiled by overdoses of black leather, carbon monoxide, and moral nihilism. They do what they want, and they care not for man's law. Yeah, these outfits are incredible. Uh, if you if you haven't seen clips from this film, look it up because the 
the design on the biker helmets just looks great. Uh, again, it looks like a skull. And then they're wearing, most of them, again, are he- wearing head-to-toe black leather. And it says, of course, Living Dead on the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have their name tags on the front. Or it's, yeah, name tags, really, yeah. yeah. Which, which uh, is a great thing for criminals to have, right? Yeah, so yeah. You, the first thing we see them doing is just uh, uh, dangerously harassing people driving on the on the, on the the back, you know, the country roads. And, uh, and I think they actually kill a guy, like they, yeah, or yeah. at least they knock him out, like they, they scare him until he's in an accident and is thrown from his vehicle. Uh, so they're just out just randomly murdering innocent people, and they've got their names on their clothes. Yeah, this film mostly has a very sanitized view of how death works, because mostly yes. things happen, people become very still and they are dead. Yeah. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's weirdly sanitized for a film that is otherwise, uh, you know, just on paper is obsessed with death. Yeah. It's not a bloody movie. It's actually, yeah. it's, it's, it's very clean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a number, like pretty much all outlaw biker films, it, you've got to have just these scenes of the characters being lawless and dangerous and 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 harassing other people. I would call these scenes to to take a coinage from Polly Walnut's mayhem. You know, <laughs> you've got to have your mayhem sequences, and so so that's what we get right at the get go. They go straight from the Stone Circle stunts to to riding around doing mayhem. And uh, and so the leader, played by Nikki Henson, is this guy named Tom Latham. Now, I already mentioned that he is sort of like Nigel Tufnell of Spinal Tap, but I would describe mm-hmm. him as a cross between Nigel Tufnell and Malcolm McDowell in A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Picture those two in a in a Venn diagram, and and then you've got Tom. Yeah, but a lot more likable, uh, yes. more likable than perhaps any Malcolm McDowell character has ever. Been. Sure, yeah. Now, of course, this being a biker film, there are lots of shots of bikers biking. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that sets us apart from, uh, let's say, less well-crafted biker films, uh, and I've seen a few of these, where sometimes you'll have the camera set up and you'll just watch the bikers approach for like a mile in the desert, you know? Yeah. Um, Werewolves and, on Wheels does that, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like, wow, we're really going to watch this for a while. They, they set up this shot and we're going we're gonna to see all of it. But, and there, there's maybe like one shot in this where it felt like it went on a bit long. But otherwise, uh, they did a good job of of just giving us interesting footage of our gang uh, terrorizing the roads. So a sin that is often committed by B-movies is padding, Mm -hmm. trying to insert extra stuff to pad out the runtime and get to full feature length. That is a a thing I would not accuse this movie of. I don't think there's a lot of padding. I think it moves at a pretty nice pace, and there's not a lot of just watching people drive around with no purpose. Yeah, and if I think if some people were confused by the film, and they might say, "Well, maybe we needed more of the film to explain these things," I think that I think that would be the wrong instinct because there's a lot of stuff like the frogs that we don't completely understand. There's right. a cryptic nature to it, and I feel like that is how it should be, given the magic that's taking place here. We're not supposed to understand frog necromancy; uh, oh, it is supposed to be a mystery to us. I almost forgot about the frogs. We got to talk about the frogs. So at, yeah. they do the mayhem at the beginning. And then the next scene is we get Tom and Abby. Abby is uh, another member of the gang. Uh, and, and Tom is her boyfriend. And they're hanging out in a graveyard. And uh, and Tom catches a frog in the graveyard. And he says, hello, little green friend. <laughs> and, uh, and Abby, it's funny because Abby seems like she does not really belong in this gang. She just seems like an extremely nice young lady who would yeah. not be out doing highway murders. Mm-hmm. 
the rest of the gang are obviously these immoral, lawless creeps, and and Abby just seems like a like she's she's just a nice girl. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but it makes sense because she's she I think eventually becomes the main character. Um, and you're only five minutes into the movie before Tom is saying to Abby, "Let's do it. Let's kill ourselves and become some kind of cursed undead monsters." And <laughs> and Abby's like, "Oh, Tom, not that again." <laughs> So apparently he brings this up all the time. Every time they get together, he's like, what do you say? Let's become undead. Yeah. Uh, and it's also kind of strange how much she seems to take this in stride. Like, she's just like, oh, that's silly. Not like it doesn't really bother her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but clearly, yeah, he talks about it a lot. This is his thing. Like, it was probably, I don't know if they had yearbooks in uh, in Britain uh, at this time. But if they yeah. had one, he would be most likely to uh, to destroy oneself and become an undead monster. Right. Uh, so Tom goes back to his house, which is a gigantic mansion. Wouldn't you know it? This good for nothing moto rascal is actually a posh rich kid. Mm -hmm. And so they're at the house. You, you find out his family. I don't know how best to explain the family situation. So the family is him and his mother and their butler Shadwell. And his mother and Shadwell seem to be into evil magic. They're, they're into the occult. They do seances and other occult stuff in the house. And uh, Tom's father has passed away because it's implied he tried to do some kind of dangerous evil ritual and failed and died in the process. Right. And possibly like permanently warped a room in their house with yeah. foul magic from beyond. Uh, Again, not completely explained, and I, I, I don't want the film to explain it more. I, I like that it's so cryptic. Um, but yeah, this is a weird house and a weird family setting because Shadwell's not really, he's, he's the butler. He's, mm -hmm. not the, he's not his father. But he also, there's, a, there's clear from the very beginning that Shadwell is not just a butler. There is, there's a power right. to him. There's knowledge there. And he's, he's only so involved in the actual affairs of the family. Uh, like I noticed that a lot of times, maybe in a very sort of proper, uh, you know, English butler way, uh, one of them will express an emotion and he'll comment upon it, but he's not really, uh, expressing an opinion one way or the other. Mm, yes. The, the, the circumspect, uh, removed, uh, Jeeves ish, uh, editorial position. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he's like Jeeves, but if Jeeves were a, an ancient Druid warlock. Yes. Yeah. Because ultimately we, we come to, to learn that he is either some sort of an ancient Druid warlock or perhaps something worse, perhaps a, a demon or the devil himself or, or something, something from beyond. I don't know. It, it could go either way. Uh, but, but there's a lot more to Shadwell than just butlering. So Tom gets home with this frog that he caught in the graveyard and he's like, he's like, okay, I want to know the secret of the living dead. And, <laughs> and I guess Shadwell is like, oh, okay, maybe he should know, maybe not. Um, but the frog seems significant. Can you explain the frog to me? I've seen this movie multiple times and I don't understand the relationship between the frog and the power to come back from the dead. Um, ooh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really have a clear answer, but we see actual frogs. Mm -hmm. We see, of course, the wonderful frog amulet, uh, that comes up, uh, that I, when it first appeared on screen, I, I audibly gasped. It was so beautiful oh, yeah. to behold. A wonderful jewelry. So Tom's mother is like, can, should we tell him the secret of the living dead? It could be dangerous for him. And Shadwell's like, it won't be dangerous for him if he's protected with this. And then he gets mm -hmm. out this necklace that's got a frog on it. 
And I think Shadwell has a ring with the frog on it as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, oh, and then there's the, like, the frog from beyond. There's a, like Ooh. a dreamlike sequence involving a mirror that casts no reflection. And within that smoking mirror of occult uh, weirdness, we see the form of a frog. So I don't know if... Like that is the form of the force from beyond. Is is it conveying information, or is the yeah, or is that the is that the form of the destroyer in this uh, this picture? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So many questions. But the frog is a repeating symbol, and uh, oh yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's, there's a lot of frog action in this, and it absolutely works. There's also a wonderful scene where when Tom and his mother first meet up, they start waltzing around the living room. They've got like a sunken living room and, and they're dancing. And she's like, Tom, now I, you know, I, I think the police are after you. And he says, the word mother is fuzz. And she <laughs> says, uh, she says, if you don't be careful, you're going to end up arrested. And he says, the word mother is busted. <laughs> it's weird how he's, you know, he's having to educate his mom on the cool lingo, but their uh-huh. living room is really hip. Like it's a very yeah. mod living room with um, like, they have this cosmic like black starscape behind the occult seance table. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's a fireplace and there's like all this weird modern furniture going on. It's a, it's a strange, strange living room. And I love it. But ultimately, in this whole sequence, Tom has Tom has this weird thing where he goes into the, the the cursed room and faces the magic mirror, and ultimately he finds out the secret of the living dead by overhearing his mother. And it doesn't seem like much of a secret. The secret just seems to be that you have to to become an evil undead immortal. You have to kill yourself and truly believe you'll come back from the dead. And Tom is, I guess. He's he's convinced of this. I don't know. I'm trying to remember what specifically convinced him. Maybe it was the experience in the room, like encountering otherworldly, weird, magical things. Yeah. Uh, but when he, he he's terrified in the room, like there's there's a lot of terrified acting going on while he's in there. But it's not long afterwards. When he gets out of there, he wakes up and he's like, "All right, let's do it. Uh, death and immortality, bring it on." Right. And so the next day he's ready. He's ready. He's ready to become the Lich King. Mm -hmm. So uh, like we said earlier, every outlaw biker movie has to have scenes of bikers riding around, knocking things over. You know, they see stuff that's vertical and just their eyes go red and they're like, (laughs) "Uh -uh, you're you're not going to be vertical for long. And so they ride around in the town square, knocking stuff over in a, in a scene of chaos and mayhem that will, uh, that will culminate in Tom driving his motorcycle off a bridge to become the evil dead right he washes up on the bank and they're like two children there and they're like look (laughs) yeah and so then after this we get a scene that is one of the best scenes in the movie it's the Mm -hmm. funeral for tom which they have at this stone circle that uh you saw in the opening of the film which they called the seven witches i don't know which elements to focus on first but this scene is so great maybe the folk song so there's one of the bikers uh, who again? These they kill people. He's also like a sweet <laughs> singer songwriter, uh, and he plays this song that goes, "And the world never knew his name, but the chosen few know of his fame." Yeah, it's really good. Um, and and uh, uh, you can find clips of this whole song on YouTube uh-huh. if you look around for it. But uh, yeah, there's the folk song that's going on. That, that's wonderful. Uh, just the, also the whole premise because basically what's happened is after he di- after Tom died. Abby came to his mom and said, hey, um, it's sad that Tom died. 
we would love to bury him in our way. Like, according to our custom, yeah. <laughs> according to our customs. So you might wonder, what is a traditional English biker funeral? Well, it apparently involves, I guess, being taxidermied uh-huh. uh, atop your motorcycle and then buried on your motorcycle in a grave, like a, an enormous yeah. grave. And in this case, the, isn't the grave like adjacent to the hinge? It's right in the middle of the yeah. hinge. Yeah. Which seems, this, this seems like this I, would not be legal. The authorities, I do not think they would let you bury somebody there. And it on a re- motorcycle? It, I mean, yeah, it's going to leak on oil. on the motorcycle, and, just on it. It, it, yeah. it, rem, it reminds me of the actual practice of uh, horse burial, where, mm. for example, you might see an ancient Scythian warrior buried with his horse. I think this, this practice is common among... Um, people more in sort of like uh, the, the Indo-European and Central Asian regions throughout history where, you know, mm-hmm. strong, strong horse-based cultures, people would sometimes be buried with their horse in some way. And here it's like that, but it's the motorcycle instead of the horse. Yeah, yeah. It's But it's great, though, because he's just sitting on the yeah. – the, he's just being real still, you know, uh, on the on the motorcycle in the grave while they're playing this song. And then, yeah. oh, and then, of course, you get to – you see the hinge, uh, the stones behind them. And then also there's a smokestack in the background. Yes. And I just love that shot. Like, that, that shot just so feels good. so 70s uh, Britain. I love it. And the the song going on, the, the lyrics, at one point, the singer goes, and he really got it on. He rode that sweet <laughs> machine just like a bomb. And I was like, I can't think of instances of people riding bombs except in Dr. Strangelove. Is that what he meant? Maybe so. I mean, the time the time frame would work. Or maybe it's British biker lingo that we're just, uh, just lost oh, right. on us. Uh, but so, of course, Tom comes back from the grave as a, as an evil undead version of himself. I guess he was oh. already evil. Oh, sorry, oh pl- please don't just say he camp- comes back from the grave. No, please no, describe no, no. the way he comes <laughs> he, back. He, he busts up out of the grave. So there's a scene where um, the uh, like a car pulls over on the highway. And uh, the the man gets out of the car, and his wife there is like, uh, you. Uh, he's like, oh, we're having car trouble. I've got to go to the garage. And his wife says, you could get there faster if you cut through the seven witches. You're not afraid, are you? And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> Obviously, he is. So he's walking through the seven witches. But then what's that he hears? Is that a little bit of a – is that a revving, the revving of a motorcycle as if coming up from out of the earth? And then, boom, spray of dirt. Tom busts up out of his grave on the motorcycle and runs this guy over. Yeah. So Tom is back from the grave. And one of the great things about this is you might expect, given all this, that that Tom would be this like grisly undead biker now. But no, Tom looks exactly like he did in life, acts exactly like he did in life, with the added caveat that he is now seemingly immortal and indestructible. Yes. And and you might wonder, well, what's his how does he exploit this? Well, the first things he 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 does is he basically he tanks up his his hog Mm -hmm. and then he uh, he also goes and has a beer. And he doesn't pay for any of these things because now right. he is invincible. Well, he kills the service station attendant because he asked him for money. And yeah. then uh, he also at the he goes to the pub to use the telephone mm-hmm. um, because he wants to call Shadwell. He calls Shadwell on the phone and uh, Shadwell's like, oh, uh, how does it feel to be back? And he says, splendid. <laughs> and uh, he seems maybe even more freed from pathetic human morality than he was before, because now he's just doing murders everywhere he goes. Like, yeah, like five at a time. 
Yeah, there's like a lady at the pub who wants to to ride on his motorcycle. She's like, take me for a ride. And he's like, no. And he just kills her. Yeah, he's off screen killing everybody. Yes. But yeah, so he's he's immortal and invulnerable. And he appears back to the rest of his gang. And he says, hey, you know, here's the deal. If you kill yourself and become an undead lich king like me, you will be indestructible. And then we can really party. Yeah. And they buy into it instantly because the proof is in the pudding. And like, here right. he is. He's back. You don't need to go into the weird mirror room because Tom stands before you. And also one of them tries to stab him. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, it doesn't work on me anymore. See, I'm immortal. You guys should join the club, too. And he's and not it, bothered by it. Yeah. The guy yeah. tries to stab him and he's just like, isn't it cool? <laughs> um, but so there is a... a I guess it's very a darkly comic sequence where all the rest of the bikers are like, oh, you know, I'm next. And they take their turns doing bizarre suicides to become the evil dead. Yeah. It's a sequence that is was just shockingly hilarious. Uh, strong gallows humor, but it's like each one chooses a different method. The one that got me though, is the is the the biker? I forget which one this is. He's he's wearing a swimsuit and he's laden with chains, like right. a ridiculous amount of chains, like like Bob Marley's ghost. And he's Bob creeping Marley. You mean the, Jacob Marley? I'm sorry, Jacob Marley's ghost, <laughs> not Bob. Mar- sorry, Jacob Marley's ghost from. Uh, yeah. Uh, from uh, uh, a Christmas Carol, uh, right. so he's laden in all of these, you know, fake chains, and he's 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 shambling towards the riverside, uh, yeah. clearly to drown himself. But it's like, really, that's the method you choose, and then uh, he does it. Uh, one of them off goes, screen, of course. Yes, yeah. Uh, one of them goes skydiving without a parachute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yes, the goal is they're all going to become undead bikers, just like Tom. Yeah, and so uh, in the end, because of course uh, there's just death everywhere now um the the police get involved so in the third act that's uh, i guess pretty standard for movies like this the police come in and they're like well we've got a we've got to set a trap for tom and and the bikers um and they decide they want to use abby as bait because abby is the only one of them who doesn't buy into this and she decides she actually doesn't want to become undead she likes living thanks very much and she backs out of it though she does almost overdose and has like a dream sequence that's that's uh, that's kind of good. Oh yeah, yeah, that is yeah. very good. In the meantime, the the bikers are riding around. And there's yet another grocery store punishment scene where they're, they're just <laughs> plowing through the aisles. This carnation evaporated milk must suffer. You know, the Marmite <laughs> will pay, and they're smashing all of the products. And you see, and you see Jane being especially evil. She's like, I, I, you know, I want to, uh, I want to hit baby carriages with my motorcycle. I just want to do the most evil things I can think of. Yeah, yeah. She runs. She's on her motorcycle, driving through the aisle, aiming at the baby carriage. Hits the baby carriage, and then of course careens into the like the meat counter in the back. Yeah. And of course, these are all real motorcycle stunts. So it's like they're just wiping out in a in a grocery store. It's, I wonder uh, what it's grocery crazy. store they shot this in. Was it a Safeway? Uh, maybe so. Yeah. But Abby's along. Abby's getting cold feet at this point for sure. Right. Like she was real. I mean, no, she's more than that. Like she, she had already decided she doesn't want any part of this, but now she's part of this, this police scheme to trap them, which I didn't completely understand how this played out. No, I didn't either. Cause just suddenly like they lay her out in the morgue mm-hmm. uh, and they let Tom know that she's dead, I guess so that he'll come and get her. And then there, we get some groovy music playing. And then there's a, suddenly we see all the police and the police inspector, including uh, fudge 
they're just they're in the like the coroner's window, like the little uh, cubby holes for yeah. the corpses for the cadavers. And so I guess they've been off screen killed as well. Yeah, I think that is the implication that that yeah. Tom just uh, just dispatched them uh, as he does with nearly everyone he meets now. Because again, he has super strength and cannot be hurt. Right. They're just, they're running wild. Granted, they're not trying to do much, but then mm. we get a scene where uh, Shadwell and mom are talking to Tom and they're like, well, what are your plans? What's next? And he's like, oh, well, you know, there are a lot of police officers and teachers. And he just runs through a list of like various, uh, generally like small level local authority figures. And he's like, we're yeah. just going to kill all of them. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to completely tear down society from the bottom up. So then I think uh, even mom, even though she's been involved in a lot of evil magic, she she sort of has a change of heart. She's like, what have I done? What kind of monster have I created? And of course, Shadwell is there. And uh, Shadwell early on had uh, had mentioned, had dropped that those stones that we saw earlier, well, those are what's left of uh, ancient warlocks who uh, forgot their bargain or turned their back on the powers that they served. Yeah. And and so when she starts saying, well, there must, I want to back out. I don't want to be part of whatever deal I've made with whoever, with the beings beyond the mirror, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that takes the form of the frog or what have you. And he's like, well, you know, there's a price to pay. And she's like, well, I will do it. And so that's what we get in the end, even though the, the evil dead bikers cannot be defeated by conventional arms or, or weapons, they can be undone by ritual magic. And so uh, ultimately, they've got to call in somebody's mom to fix things. Yes. So, yeah, the final scene is Abby standing up to them. Abby's pretended to be undead, you know, mm-hmm. sort of going along with it. Uh, but Tom suspects something's up when he drives through a brick wall and it's totally oh, yeah. unfazed by it. And she goes around it. And he's like, what's up? You're not dead, are you? And she's like, no, I wanted to tell you. And then the whole gang kind of turns on her. He's reaching out to strangle her. But mom has turned off the magic. And uh, perhaps the son is, is involved as well, because suddenly they start turning to stone. All the bikers turn to stone right there in the hinge. And Abby is the only one left alive. And then this dark vehicle uh, uh, pulls up and a lone figure gets out of it and begins walking towards her. And I believe this is supposed to be Shadwell. Maybe in his like fully realized devil form or warlock form or something. Yeah. So it, I, I love the ending because it was one of these, what's happening? What's, what is the future? Yeah. Is Shadwell showing up now to offer Abby the deal, the deal that the mom has backed out on, the deal that we really don't know any of the details of, yeah. which again, I kind of like because again, part of the film is it's about the youth. It's about uh, the youth in the world that the grownups have created. And they yeah. certainly don't understand all the ramifications and the rules of that world, either the real world or certainly the supernatural world uh, that Shadwell and mom are involved in. Yeah. And you know, one thing I love about the ending is that, so all these biker movies are about, young people rebelling against authority structures. Something mm-hmm. about the motorcycle signals a kind of freedom, a kind of uh, removal of the constraints established by the authority figures around you. And at the end of this movie, what you've got to do is call somebody's mom to, to like <laughs> make him stop acting up. And I love yeah. it. Yeah. And then we roll credits and uh, it's also fun. This is a credit, a credit sequence that, uh, that divides the cast up by the factions they were involved in, which I thought mm-hmm. was nice. So you get a full list of the bikers, you get the uh, the law, you also get the survivors. So I, mm-hmm. I really, I really appreciate that. I wish I saw we saw that more, uh, certainly in modern um, modern uh, uh, credits on films. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that too. I like the fonts too. I always Great had a fonts. comment on good fonts. 
even the fonts on their their jackets are really nice. Uh, Tom, mm-hmm. I believe, has like a pink and green, like kind yeah. of a. It's kind of like a like it feels very eighties. The coloration on uh, his name tag portion of his uh, his jacket, uh, but I, I really like it. I'm just surprised nobody's remade this or revisited it. Oh, a, I'm so glad nobody way. has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah no, it's ultimately better. I mean, this is a, I think, a nearly perfect trash movie. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I could not ask for a better uh, 70s supernatural biker movie. The, this is sort of the, the peak for me. Yeah, I, I agree. This, I think this is the supernatural biker film par excellence. Um, so you might be wondering out there, well, where can I watch Psychomania? Well, Psychomania, fortunately, is widely available uh, in digital formats. Aero Video put out an absolutely beautiful-looking two-disc Blu-ray uh, of this film a few years back, and you can still pick that up. The soundtrack is also widely available in all formats. Uh, but if you're looking to stream this picture, I believe it is hosted on numerous streaming platforms slash channels, including Shudder, Fandor, and AMC, and all of those have free trial periods. So if you just want to dip in and get yourself some uh, psychomania and then uh, and then check out, uh, well, then that, that's certainly an option. Yeah, rev it up. All right, we're going to go ahead and close this out. Uh, real quick, though, you know, since there were some suicidal elements in this picture and we discussed them a little bit, uh, if you're troubled by suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. And a sympathetic ear is only a phone call away. In the United States, consider calling the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. You can visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org for additional resources tailored toward general and specific needs and communities. You'll also find a list of local and international suicide hotlines at suicide.org. That's going to be it for this episode of Weird House Cinema, but we will be back. Uh, you can check out Weird House Cinema every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We're primarily a science podcast with our core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we have, what, uh, Listener Mail on Mondays, Artifact on Wednesday, Vault episode on Friday, and a little rerun on the weekend. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 